for the message this morning. I'd have you turn to the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Praise the Lord. Genesis and chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And I'll let you know when I'm going to begin. Genesis 15 and 1. I'm going to read... I'm going to read a handful of verses ending in verse 18. So I'm going to read verse 1, 5, 7, 8, 9, 17, and 18. I'm just going to read them in a, in a flow and in order. I'm uh, eliminating some of the in-between just in the sake of time and just hitting on these, these main verses. So what you're about to hear out of Genesis chapter 15 is the story of God's first introduction after the fall of Adam in the earth to a person that he begins to have a relationship with. That person is Abraham. And this is God introducing himself to Abraham. At this time in Abraham's life, the Lord has already visited him and put upon his heart to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldeans and to travel some seven, eight hundred miles to the west, having told him or having put in his heart that he would send him to a land that he would sojourn as a pilgrim there and uh, that the Lord would lead him as he went. And so he went and he's now in that land. And then in chapter 15, we have God coming to him and having an encounter. Okay, so Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. At this point, Abraham, 75 years old. His wife is um, about 66 and she's barren. They've got no children. So what a word from God. Look at the stars. Count them if you can, because that's how numerous your offspring will be. For I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess and to inherit it. But Abraham said, and catch this, this is the pivot of our message. O Lord God, how shall I know that I shall possess and inherit it? And the Lord said to Abraham, bring me a heifer. And then he goes on and he tells him to bring sacrificial animals beginning with a heifer and to divide them in half after the custom or the tradition of cutting a blood covenant. And he says, just lay them in half and wait for me. And it picks up the narrative in verse 17. After he's laid the two halves of the cow side by side and the other sacrificial animals. And the Bible says, when the sun had gone down, that it was dark. And behold, there was a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To you and your offspring I give this land 
And he goes on and he elaborates. So God says, I am your, I am your shield and I will greatly reward you in life. Not I'm going to give you a shield, but I am your shield. And step outside and look at the stars because you're going to have children and they are going to be so numerous that they are more than the stars that are in the heavens. And this land that I've led you to, I'm giving it to you. You will inherit this land. And after hearing all of this, Abraham says, Lord, how will I know that I shall inherit it? He doesn't say, how do I know this is God? He knew it was God, but he needed an assurance that what God had spoken to him was actually going to happen. And so many of us today, we know the Word of God. We know what God is saying, but we're not certain. Is the Lord really meaning this for me? Does God really mean to fulfill this in my life? How can I know? How can I truly know that what you have said is going to come to pass? And the Lord quickly answers and says, Go prepare for a blood covenant. You and I are going to enter into covenant. And immediately, Abraham, being an ancient man, understanding what blood covenant was all about, understood the almighty God is going to enter into a blood covenant with me. So I want to talk with you this morning about what is a blood covenant. I've entitled the message, How Shall I Know? How can I know? How do you know? That 1 Peter 2.24 that says, with his stripes you were healed. How do you know that's God's will for you? How do you know that you're going to inherit that? When Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, I give to you. How do you know that in your stress and in your turmoil, that the Lord is actually going to bring you to a place of his peace? How do you know that these things which are spoken in the Word of God are truly for you? How can we truly be confident today? What context? We can always rationalize in our mind, maybe I'm not hearing right. Maybe this scripture is conditional and I'm not meeting the conditions. And on and on and on, we back off from the promises of God because we don't know how shall I know that I'm going to inherit this. And God answered by the blood covenant. So you're going to learn today about the blood covenant because it's how God speaks to you. It's how God speaks to the world about his intentions. There are three things about the blood covenant that I want you to understand. They are number one, the purpose of a covenant is to bind two parties together in a relationship that produces a third being. A new being born from the relationship of two becoming one. And hence, the taking of the heifer and dividing the animal in half. And um, when Abraham, as the sun went down, looked, he's expecting that as the tradition goes, he and God somehow are going to pass, almost like a figure eight, in between the pieces, walking up and down, in between those two halves, declaring the terms of the blood covenant. And the two are going to become one. 
This is how I'm going to know that God's going to give me the land, multiply my children, be my shield against all of these enemies around me. The way I'll know it is God and I are going to come into some kind of relationship and out of it there's going to come a third party and I'm going to be part of that third party. So he, he understands that this is what's going to happen. The Bible says God caused a sleep to fall on him and he fell asleep and when he woke up the sun had gone down and he sees a flame of fire, a torch, and he sees like a clay pot, a fire pot, with smoke coming out of it, meaning there's fire inside. And these two are passing back and forth between the pieces. So the covenant is being cut, is being formed, the terms are being expressed, but Abraham is a spectator. Actually, that fire pot is the one that represents Abraham. Hallelujah. That flame, that torch of fire, Hebrews tells us who the fire is. The fire is God. Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And who is Jesus? But he's God on a thermostat. He's the fire, hallelujah, in a vessel of clay, an earthen vessel. There's fire in that vessel. We see the smoke, all those miracle signs and wonders. What were those? That was the smoke of the fire in Jesus. So the fire's in the vessel Jesus, and we see the evidence. We see the smoke of healing, hallelujah, and of deliverance. Praise God. Took people a while to realize that that was Jesus. But so the covenant is being cut between the Father and this representative of man and representative of God, this smoking furnace, if you will, Jesus. And Abraham is watching. So the covenant purpose, number one, is to bind two parties together, out of which will come a third, a union of the two, forming a third being, a third entity. Now we see this in our culture all around us. Marriage, the two shall be that's right, hallelujah. And what happens? Everything gets combined. The money, the resources, the time, the body, the soul, the spirit, everything combined. You now have the two separate lives bound together. We now share a life. My wife and I have been sharing a life for almost 50 years. And uh, that's how we talk to one another about it. We say we share a life. And if one of us pulls away or begins to... Um, begins to... to uh, act independent of the relationship, it's felt. It causes pain. It causes stress. This is why people end up in marriage counseling and divorce court, because they try to break. They may not intend to, but they try to break that relationship. You have to live a shared life, a shared life. Praise the Lord. And now, if that doesn't appeal to you, don't get married. I know that that's a little late for some of you, but... Number two, the second thing about blood covenant that you need to know is that as they pass between those pieces, by the way, there were eight, some people say nine, eight or nine, I'm going to go with eight. There were eight practices in forming a blood covenant. And I'm just going to quickly touch on them this morning. But um, as they pass between those pieces, they would lay out the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant define the relationship, the third entity. They describe and define, they name and define and categorize the life of that third entity that's formed out of those two lives. 
The New Testament is the terms of the covenant. It is the terms of the new creation. Hallelujah. So Jesus is God and Jesus is man. Fully God, fully man come together. Jesus is the new creation. Jesus is what the blood covenant created and formed. He is eternal God and he is man. Hallelujah. And the New Testament is his testament. And the New Testament defines you and I. We are the new creation in him. The third thing I want to say about the blood covenant before moving on is that, and I've kind of already said it, but it needs to be emphasized, and that is a blood covenant blending those two lives creates one new life. You have to understand this. This is not Apple and AT&T writing up a contract. This, what sets the covenant apart from the blood covenant is that those two halves have now become one. And that's why we can't break a blood covenant. Once you're in it, you're in it, and the only way to make it work is to always move forward in that covenant. So, the problem with the idea of God coming down in Genesis 15 saying to Abraham, I promise you these things. Abraham says, how shall I know? God says, we're going to enter into a blood covenant. There was an immediate problem with that happening that made it actually impossible. And that is that Abraham or mankind was completely incompatible with God. God was holy. Man was cursed under sin. The two could not come together and be one. If man in his unholy state had tried to bind himself with God, the light, the fire of God would have simply incinerated us. We would have, we would have been incinerated in judgment. And that's why when people left this world, they went into outer darkness and they... Um, so at any rate, in our present state, we were incapable of a relationship with God. And so God had to make a new creation. God had a plan from the beginning that he would take himself and he would take fallen man and he would bring them together and create a third being that was compatible. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross for our sins... He removed the barrier, removed the sins. Then he takes that redeemed man, that redeemed woman, and sending the Holy Spirit into your life, he makes you one with himself and compatible. And so we are one in Christ. And we call this the in him realities. A Christian is not someone who believes in Jesus. A Christian is someone who's been transformed from being a sinner into the new creation. You're no longer just simply a homo sapien. Uh, for those that didn't finish school, that's human being. I wasn't calling you names or saying anything about your previous lifestyle. Just simply saying that as a human, you could not be one with God. But Jesus took care of that. God became the human, hallelujah, and combined in Christ humanity and divinity. Somebody say praise the Lord, hallelujah. So God had to make out of the two parties. That's why Abraham had to sit it out by faith and believe that that smoking furnace was him. 
represented him. And then a few years later, when his first son came, Isaac, the same thing happened. He receives that miracle son from the Lord. And he's like, oh, God's starting to fulfill it. I've only got one, but it's eventually going to become like the stars of the heaven. And God says, I want you to give him back to me. You see, the nature of a blood covenant is that it is an exchange of those two lives. And when they come together, they give everything they are and everything they own to the new creation. God had to give everything he was, and man had to give everything he was, and that's who Jesus is. He is God and man giving all. That's who the new creation is. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so Abraham has to take Isaac up on Mount Moriah. God says, you need to give him to me. Because, you know, we often think, why did he do that? Why did Abraham do that? Why didn't Abraham just say, I'm not going to do that? Because he knew he was now in blood covenant. Whatever God asked, he had to do it. But you know, the reverse is true. Whatever he asked of God, God would do it. Can you say amen? That's how that blood covenant works. So God said, come on, bring that boy up to, up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. Give him to me. God, you're invisible. How do I give him to you? You're just a voice in my head. How do I do it? You're going to have to kill him and release his spirit from his body. And his spirit will go to me. So the Bible says that Abraham worked out in his mind, if I kill him, God will raise him from the dead because God put a promise on this boy. God said this boy was going to become the first of a multitude. And so I'm going to do it, but somehow God's going to raise him from the dead. We've never seen anything like this, but God's going to do it. So he's about to drop the knife and sacrifice Isaac. And the Lord said, stop. Now I know that you believe in the blood covenant. Now I know you know that you're in covenant with me. Therefore, the blood covenant demands act for act be matched in that relationship. God said specifically to Abraham, because you have not withheld your only son, I have provided myself for the sacrifice. And there was a, 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 a lamb, a sheep, that symbolized the Lamb of God, Jesus, who would come. He said, go ahead and sacrifice that sheep. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to do this on credit. But God said, you didn't withhold your son. I will not withhold my son. Do you see how that works? How that blood covenant works? Praise the Lord. It's awesome, isn't it? So Abraham says, how shall I know? Sitting in your seats this morning... This past week, this past month, this past year, you've been seeking God. You've been praying about things in your life. Some of you have seen those answers come. Some of you have not yet seen them. Where are you at? How stable is your heart? What do you believe when you go to God with the promises of God? Where are you standing? Somewhere inside, I think, all of us, is the tendency. It's like a little creeping vine that rises up. The tendency to say, well... Maybe I didn't really get this right. Maybe God didn't really mean it. No, Abraham said, how, he confronted God. How shall I know? God said, the blood covenant. And so I'm telling you today that if you understand the blood covenant, you can speak to God and get him to move. If you understand the blood covenant, 
You can speak to God through the covenant and God will move. Listen to Ezekiel. Chapter 16, verse 62. I will establish my covenant with you and then you will know that I am the Lord. Can it get any plainer than that? God said, you want to know if it's really me? I make a covenant with you. How do I know you're going to keep your end? 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and proved it. 2,000 years ago, the Lamb of God came. He marched. He wasn't dragged. He marched up to Calvary's hill, praise God. He laid Himself down as the Lamb of God. He spoke to the governor and He said, You can't take my life. I came into this world crucified. I was crucified from the foundation of the world. I came for this crucifixion. And I shall rise from that tomb on the third day. Jesus had laid it all out. How do we know God keeps His covenant? Because He did keep it. Jesus was God paying His end of this deal. Can you say amen? I will establish my covenant with you. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Why are you sitting here today? Why do you know that He is the Lord? Because He is risen and He lives in your heart. You know Him because He's living inside of you. How do I know God keeps covenant? Because He couldn't be living in me as Jesus Christ if He wasn't God who kept the covenant. Somebody say amen. amen. When you understand the terms of the blood covenant and you speak to God through His covenant, then you will move him. One of the greatest examples of this is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. Verse 22. A Canaanite, non-Jewish woman, comes to Jesus, and she's seeking healing for her daughter. Listen to the story of this famous encounter. And behold, a Canaanite woman that was from the region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Stop. She's not Jewish. What does she care who David was? David was never the, her people's king. Jehovah God, Yahweh God, was not her God. She's a Canaanite. Are you listening to me? So listen to the strange words in her mouth. O son of David, Lord, have mercy on me. This woman knows something. I don't know. She's probably never been to church, but somehow she knew something. And she's crying. Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a single word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away because she's, she's crying out after us. She's a nuisance. And Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What a hater. Must have been a racist. Are you listening to me? What a hater. How could Jesus be so hateful? How could he be so indifferent? Send, send her away. The disciples said, all Jewish guys, send her away. It's Canaanite dog, trash. They openly spoke of non-Jewish people that way. You're a dog, you're trash, you're garbage. And Jesus, almost endorsing that kind of attitude, says, I have not been sent except 
to the lost tribe of the house of Israel, to the lost sheep of Israel. But she came and knelt before him. Look at this lady. My God. Woo! Praise the Lord. Sometimes you've got to get past the apparent offense. If you want something from God, you've got to be able to humble yourself to go get it. Can you say amen? amen? This is why a lot of people don't receive from God because they can't humble themselves to the point where they can receive what He has for them. And it says that she came and knelt before Him and she said, Lord, help me. And He said to her, You'd think tugging on her, his heart, that would get it. Surely, truly. But he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She wants deliverance from demonic oppression for her daughter. Jesus said, that's the children's bread. I'm sent to the Jewish people. I'm sorry. It's not right to give the, Jew the, the children's bread to dogs. Listen to what she said, because this was it. This changed everything. She said, yes, truth, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you have desired and her daughter was healed instantly. Now, we have all rejoiced over that story. It said, oh, she wouldn't give up. Oh, the importunity. And oh, she just kept begging until Jesus caved in. Hogwash. None of those things are correct. She didn't turn him around because she wouldn't let go. There was a covenant barrier there was a covenant that she had no access to. She wasn't Jewish. She was not entitled. He was not sent to give her what she wanted. But she found a way to use the covenant on Jesus. She had a way to get hold of the covenant. If an if a unsaved Canaanite woman could get a hold of the old covenant and get Jesus to release a miracle on her daughter. How about you and I who are in covenant with God? You say, what do you mean? How, how did she use the covenant? First she addresses him, son of David. Then she says, you are Lord. And when he says, yes I am, and I can't give the bread to dogs, she said, yes, you're right. She acknowledged the covenant. She said, I know about the covenant. I know you can't do this. But they are the children. They are the covenant recipients. I'm one of the little puppies, one of the little strays. I'm one of the little mutts under the table, and we do get the crumbs every now and then. Jesus said, lady, you got the crumbs today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And he said, great is your faith. Don't think that when he said great is your faith, he was saying because you wouldn't give up. It meant so much more than that. He was saying great is your understanding and persistence to act upon the blood covenant. Great is your faith in the blood covenant. Jesus said that's the way to get to me. 
every single time. Emotion doesn't work on me. Logic and reasoning and playing like a lawyer in front of God doesn't work on me. Come to me on the basis of the covenant. Know what I have said. Abraham said to me a long time ago, how shall I know that I shall receive it? Let's cut a blood covenant. And Ezekiel said, when you know the covenant, you will know that I am the Lord your God. You know, the devil has hidden these things from millions of Christians for a long time. And Christians are paralyzed and mired in religious tradition, trying to engage the scriptures, trying to have a life and walk with God. They don't understand that there is a document, there is a, there is a, a prescribed relationship full of great blessing and promises that they can act upon. And they don't have to uh, uh, pump themselves up emotionally and, and, and to have faith. They just have to believe the covenant and know who they are. See, you don't know who you think, I'm just saved, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No! You are the new creation. You are what Abraham saw passing between those pieces. You are that, that clay pot with the fire coming out of it. You are one with God. Hallelujah. You have divinity in your nature. Understand who you are in the blood covenant. So I, I can't say any more about that. It's just awesome. Uh, and I know the Lord will just help you with it. Let me just quickly finish by running through this quick list. I told you that there were, um, there were a number of uh, steps they would take in, in uh, this exchange, the two lives I call it the two-for-one exchange. How many of you love to go, you get that little notice, oh, it's a two-for-sale. What do they call those? A BOGO. Yeah, this chapter 15, Genesis, BOGO. Hallelujah. Buy one, get both. Buy one, get both. Buy into 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Yeah. Buy into the new creation. Get both. Yeah. Find out who you are. Find out who God is. Yeah. Be the perfect woman. Be the perfect man and receive the perfect God. But it's the only way you're ever going to know who you are. It's the only way you're going to live within your own skin. It's the only way you're going to overcome the hindrances, idiosyncrasies. It's the only way you're going to know that what God said for you, that He actually meant it. Buy one, get both. The two for one exchange. The first thing they did, we've already talked about, I don't need to repeat it, is they divided the sacrifice. Each party, God and man represented by Jesus, gives their life to become part of the new creation. And in Romans 8 and 29 it says, We were predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Amen. He's the new creation, and we receive new birth in Him. Number two, they exchanged, and we talked about this, they exchanged terms, the terms of the covenant. These terms were the blessings and the cursings, the irrevocable conditions on which that covenant is made. And you couldn't get out of it. 
by simply saying, I don't want to be in this covenant anymore. One of the greatest statements of the terms that encapsulate what the terms of the New Testament are that define the new creation is found in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, and I'd like to read it for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Stop. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome? If the love of Christ controlled us. Your wife says, Oh God, I wish the love of Christ would control him. You understand, we want the love of Christ to control others. We want the love of Christ to control ourselves. But Paul writes, the love of Christ controls us because, because we have concluded, we have resolved this. That one, Jesus died for all. Therefore, all of us died. In his death, we all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. Now, if the two halves of the heifer represent the previous solitary individual lives that have now become one whole heifer, the new creation being the whole, this is why when Christians backslide, they're worse than sinners. They're more miserable they are half of a dead side of beef. A backslidden Christian trying to get out of the covenant is like a half, one front leg, one back leg, and a lot of guts hanging out. Get that picture in your mind. Because if you try to go back to your old life, that's what you are. You've already contributed your life to the new creation. There's no going back. It's heaven or nothing. Hallelujah. So we live no longer to ourselves, but for Him who died for us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live through faith in the Son of God. This new creation that I am, I know it's not going to break down on the side of the road of life because Jesus is already at the right hand of the Father. I know I'm going to make it because he made it. Come on, church. The Bible says in John chapter 14, because I live, you shall live also. How do I know I'm going to make it? Because he made it. How do I know I'm going to be victorious? He's victorious. How do I know I can live? He lives. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They exchanged coats. They'd each take a coat off. You see, the coat represents the bearer. Your coat is you. And so the coat bears the identity of its owner. So they would exchange coats which represented a shared life. And in Romans 13 and 14, the Bible says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. How can you make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of Put on Jesus. The new creation empowers you to not have to sin. To not have to make provision for your flesh. You say, oh God, I've been struggling with this all my life. You and everybody else on the planet. But the fact is that the new creation has the power, has the ability. The coats have been exchanged. You've put on Jesus. Hallelujah. And so that coat gives you ability to overcome, hallelujah, the dictates of the flesh. 
They would exchange coats. Then they would exchange names. You know, in, in marriages today, we do that. People like to hyphenate them and everything, but we, we become, uh, we change our names. That new third party has a new name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I, I can't quote to you all the things that Jesus said about in my name and ask in my name and in my name you shall do works that I did in greater. Hallelujah. But I want to say this about the exchanging of names. The name of Jesus is the name of the new creation. The new creation is not Terry Bircher. The new creation is not Kathy Champlin. The new creation is Jesus Christ. That name carries weight in heaven, and that name carries weight on earth. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. It says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. When that, uh, when that new creation was formed, that was symbolized by the covenant in, in Genesis uh, 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 chapter 15. And then 2,000 years ago, that smoking furnace came forth. His name wasn't Buddha. His name wasn't Muhammad. It, it wasn't George Washington. It wasn't Martin Luther King. It wasn't your grandmama. It is Jesus Christ who brought God and man together. There is no other name. Amen. There is no other name that can bring salvation to anybody. That is the only name in which God himself appeared and came and took on humanity. Can you say amen? amen. So as the new creation, you receive the coat, you receive the name, both of which are divine and human. That code is human. That code is divine. Think of it like this. Hallelujah. That, that coat, that uh, nature, that, uh, that name representing the new creation has authority throughout all the universe. Heaven honors it. Earth obeys it. Satan fears it. And you've got it. Hallelujah. They also went on and they exchanged weapons. And you could just, obviously, it's pretty easy to figure out. Once I join God in that new, that new creation, my enemies become his enemies. My battles become his battles. And guess what? When God wants to find somebody to use in a battle that he's in, he has every right to call you. He has every right to call you up and say, I need you to get over there and I need you to cast the devil out of that situation. I need you to get on your knees and intercede over this situation. There's a struggle going on in the heavenlies. You are my covenant body upon the earth. I've got every right to call you. We, get, we call God all the time. But when God calls us, We want to see the blessing and benefit of the covenant, so we got to live this covenant. We have to let God have His way in the covenant. Hallelujah. And He said, ask whatever you will and it will be done. If your ways please me, if you walk in obedience to me, I will bless you. I'll hold nothing back. Delight yourself in the Lord. Hallelujah. In His covenant. And I will give you the desires of your heart. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could stop all that lawyering up when you pray, explaining to God, well, Lord, you know the situation, and the bills come, and uh, you know how much I need this, and blah, blah, as though God doesn't know what's going on? That you need to talk him into it? Why do we do that? We do it because we don't know how I shall know. How shall I know? God said, stop, stop coming at me with these words. Stop coming trying to talk me into everything for heaven's sake. Understand the covenant and bring the words of the covenant. Bring the words of the covenant. Lord, your word says. And be available to act in that covenant. The exchange of weapons. Hallelujah. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. The new covenant, the new creation, created by the new covenant, came into manifestation to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. And of course, Ephesians says, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourself. There's a covenant word right there. Clothe yourself with the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, before you got saved, you weren't fighting any devil. Before you got saved, who was your problem? The bank. Who was your problem? Your friend, your mama, your daddy, your enemy, whatever. It was all natural stuff. That was your problem. All of a sudden you get saved. Now the devil's your problem. Why is that? Because you're now in blood covenant. And God's got an enemy. And guess what? That enemy comes after you because you're God's blood. You are walking in armor. You keep that face mask down, the devil thinks it's Jesus in there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen? Amen. That armor looks like him. It's got a big old chest. Your armor's got a big gut. It's not your armor. It's the whole armor of... The whole armor of... I mean, it's got big sword, big shield, shield of faith, not shield of, oh, uh, help me, uh, oh, you know, shield of, I can talk God into stuff. Shield of faith. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I got to go. Got to go on. Hallelujah. After the exchange of weapons comes the mingling of blood. You know the Indian blood brothers, you'd have a best friend, you said, we want to have a blood compact, you cut yourselves in the palm or whatever, put your hands up above your head, rub that blood together. Blood brothers together. Well, that's a, that's a blood covenant practice. And when they would cut the blood covenant, usually on their hands somewhere, they would each make a cut, and then they'd put those body, two body parts together and uh, probably rub them together and mingle that blood. The mingling of the blood, the exchange of the blood... Now listen to this. The exchange of the blood brought death and life both to Jesus and to us. See, when, when God mingled with human blood in the person of Jesus Christ, the human blood gave him the ability to die. Didn't have that before. How did he get the ability to die? Human blood, mingling of blood. But guess what? The man, the woman, you, divine blood gave you the ability to live. 
Are you listening to me? You can live as easy as Jesus died. Hallelujah. That blood, praise God. That's why at the communion, Jesus said, take all of it, for this blood is the new covenant, which is given for men for the forgiveness of sins. The next one's exciting. They would form a scar. We'd make a cut. We'd rub our hands together. Where that cut was formed, we now want to make that a permanent scar, like a tattoo, if you will, a branding. And so there were different practices that we used, sometimes just the cut itself. I don't know if it was because of the shape of the cut or whatever, but sometimes they would take a substance like charcoal and put it into the wound and, and uh, 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 rub those parts together. And the scar that would form on those two blood covenant partners would be the same. They'd have an equal scar. Now you've got a scar. You've got a mark. It marks you as a covenant man, a covenant woman. So you're out in public and a bunch of guys gang up on you. They corner you in the parking lot of Walmart. And you're about to be robbed or overtaken. What do you do? You just lift up the scar. Show them the scar. They're like, oh, oh my God. A marked man. A marked woman. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus in my body. What are the marks of the scar in our life? What are those scars? Every time we've fallen and gotten back up again. Every time we have been marked obeying God. Every time we have suffered, every time we have gone through things, and instead of falling, instead of giving up, we have stood, hallelujah, we've shed blood. There are scars. They beat Paul. They stoned Paul. He had marks in his body, but he wasn't talking about just the physical marks. He was talking about those marks upon his life that identified him as the risen, crucified Savior. You and I are to take up our cross, and we are to walk with the cross of Christ. That marks our life. Show me a Christian that backs down every time the devil tries to talk them out of doing God's will. Show me a believer that never obeys God, and I'll show you a believer who has no scar. And the devil kicks their behind, robs them, takes their lunch all the time. And they're walking around wondering, how come, how come this doesn't work for me? I don't think I'm going to go back to church anymore. This doesn't work for me. Because they don't live in covenant with God. Live in covenant with God. Let those marks be upon your life because they let the devil know who you are and who you belong to. Somebody say amen. amen. The last and final thing is that after all was done, they sat down together to have a meal. We had a meal here today at the altar. They sat down and they shared a meal, and that meal that they ate was the new creation. That meal, as they would divide it, and they would, I remember being an African, watching them, they'd have a big bowl filled with um, some sort of sauce with stuff in it, and they'd all be dipping into the bowl, all taking out of the same bowl. I'd be over there putting boiling water in my little packet. I'm not dipping in the bowl. Everybody's going with their hands and dipping in. So, not me, but uh, I'm watching it. And I remember watching that in Africa. And every time I would see it, I'd think, ooh. But on the other hand, I realized, wow, 
that's like the covenant, that's like the blood covenant meal they would share at the end. That bowl is us. That bowl is the new creation. That bowl is the new life. And we are both eating it. And Jesus said in John chapter 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. The blood covenant is not just an agreement. It's ingesting the life of the new creation. It's becoming Christ to the world. Somebody say praise the Lord. I want to close with this out of Isaiah chapter 61, or 63, 61, out of Isaiah 61, doesn't matter. Read the whole book, it's in there, you'll find it. It's one of the greatest blood covenant statements in the Bible. Everything in this, every phrase, every statement in this prophetic word about Jesus screams the blood covenant. We have sung this. This has been put to music a thousand times. We pray it. We claim it. But we still don't act in the level of faith that we need to act in by receiving it. This is not just a sentiment from God to us who are needy. This is a blood covenant statement. It is absolutely ratified by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a forever sealed legal document in heaven. You and I need to act on it. Here we go. Isaiah 61 and verse 3. God has anointed Jesus to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, so that they may be called oaks of righteousness, new creation, the planting of the Lord, so that He may be glorified. That is a description of the blood covenant. We came into that covenant. Jesus represented us. What did we bring? We brought our mourning, our sadness, our brokenness, Instead, he gave us a beautiful headdress, speaking of authority and acceptance. Hallelujah. What did we bring? We, we brought uh, 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 depression, but he gave us a garment of praise. What did we bring? We brought brokenness, but he gave us wholeness so that we might be called the new creation. You see, you're not a new creation because you individually work all these deals with God to exchange your mourning for gladness. You're a new creation because Jesus already exchanged your mourning for gladness. He already did it. So rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Close your Bible. Stand to your feet this morning. Praise the Lord.